0: Hello and welcome to the second part of a very special episode of the Life of Die podcast where we'll be discussing the Strontium Dog miniatures game with writer and lead designer on the game, Gav Thorpe. If you haven't listened to part one, it's available in the same place you're hearing this, so please consider giving that a listen first. But for everyone else, we're just going to get straight back into it. So I was just wondering, were there any special abilities in this strip that you found particularly difficult to translate to the tabletop? I'm talking specifically about the characters still, sorry.
1: Um, I don't think there are any stuff that's particularly difficult. I suppose one of the one of the things that's kind of a bit different about Strontium Dog as a property versus some other ones is yeah. it's full of very cosmetic or very debilitating mutations and stuff. So actually, and it's not one of those where you go, aha, they're not X-Men, put it that way. Yeah. You know, mutants are not
0: cool. Yeah. Johnny's the only one to do something useful, really.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, that was it, and again, it was like that was one of the the things I suppose was again how we were going to handle Johnny's Johnny's eyes, Johnny's strange eyes, because again they they operate with the power of narrative mm-hmm. in the strip. Depending on what they, you know, he could either read your thoughts, or he can look through cover, or he can just freak you out, or he can do all kinds of stuff depending on what it is the writer wants him to do at a particular time. <laughs> and so again, it was one of those where we could either try and Write a whole list of special rules in Johnny's entry about what Johnny's gaze did and all that kind of stuff. Or actually, it was much more of a well. Here's a couple of exceptions in the scenarios and things that Johnny gets to do his ability and actually, of what you know he can do, kind of pretty much all the time. Which is, but actually. If you've got Johnny in certain situations, his eyes give you this kind of advantage or give this this kind of thing. So that, again, it had that similar ability. It was a bit like, his eyes were still kind of treated in the same way as a time bomb or a number four cartridge in there. It wasn't a thing that was, that, you know, there was a use to it on a kind of standard level, but actually he didn't get to do all the things, all the crazy things all of the time. Also just for kind of just keeping him in check, really, uh, as a character. You know, like I say, he's, he's a tough nut as it is without him basically being able to just, like, Because you want him running around shooting things as well, most of the time, rather than putting the glamour on people and and trying to use their thoughts or freak them out or guess what they're going to do next and stuff. So if anything, that kind of presented one of the main challenges was how to to incorporate potentially powerful, very powerful ability, but in a way that wasn't going to dominate and essentially make him really expensive. And actually, but also, when you get very powerful characters, you can do lots of things. They tend to start fighting against each other. They can't do all of the things all of the time. And so actually they end up you know you could end up having a very high notoriety but actually not quite worth it because actually you're paying for redundancy almost mm-hmm. and things like that so as a matter of kind of just a bit of a game balance issue as well but a lot of it you know like I say with the build of Muti kind of pack and stuff it's more a case of generally cosmetic stuff you know or if it added to the story so like you know kidney is is a classic character like cuz he's just he's actually not that great a bounty hunter really but he kind of was in his prime but you never really it's only in the later strips, I think, like in the Strontium Dogs strip when he's he's kind of hanging around with Darren Red a bit more and stuff that you can see him doing more stuff. Whereas he's a bit of a comedy character and he's a down and out and stuff in the classic strips. But actually, there's pros and cons to having your face in your knee. <laughs> so <laughs> What's the point? how do we translate that into the game? But a lot of them, yeah, like I say, it's kind of like, here's a cool model, but we're not going to try and write a rule for every kind of little mutation, I think, because that's not the way they work in the strip. They're not superpowers. They're they're either deformities or they're, you know, uh, something that kind of actually uh, is more inhibiting than it is freeing.
0: Yeah, definitely it is. That's interesting what you were saying about the character of Johnny, because one of the things, as somebody that was kind of so linked to the source material was, I was aware that I could really game Johnny as a character, in other words stick him at the back of the battlefield and put him behind the building and just use his variable blaster and his, his kind of weird eyes as it were but it just did not sit right with me at all to do that and to me it actually wasn't fun you want to put the fun yeah first and foremost he's a hero he should be getting out there running among shooting the place up left right and center but i also think it's it's okay to do that sometimes if you're like you were saying earlier on if johnny's getting wounded which you, you can get in quite a bad state then you know, it's it's a reasonable tactic to then get behind cover and to make use of those abilities, but yeah, yeah, I didn't want to play them that way. I just it just didn't feel right at all. So, but imagine that most people who are playing this, that are fans of the strip, just wouldn't really go there either. To be honest, I suppose it depends what you want from the game. Whether you're more interested in winning or making a story, and then obviously, they, as you've said, there's so much for you in the game that I think most people wouldn't necessarily game it like that.
1: Yeah. And it also depends on just whether that's the most useful way for well, probably your most expensive character, just as basically a support model shooting. So, you know, I say, he's very good and it, that's quite an effective thing. But actually, when you get to the payoff and you work out, you know, actually, how many things did I capture? How many things, you know, it's like, was that the best use of a guy who's actually also pretty handy in close combat and quite fast? And, you know, there's those there's way, there's ways of means. But you're right. I think people's natural inclination is just driven by the narrative anyway. I think you. What you absolutely don't want to do is penalise people for doing that. Mm. I don't think you know the people who feel like, oh, if I play wolf like wolf, somehow actually it's penalising me in the game because actually, the, if if that was the idea of wolf is actually he stands at the back and provides covering fire or whatever, then you've, we've got it slightly wrong. So if you're encouraged, you know th- there are different ways you can play stuff, and obviously you know you just have to weigh the benefits of any any particular kind of approach during the game. But hopefully over the course of several games and different situations, and scenarios, you get you feel like playing them as the characters is probably at least not just narratively rewarding but at least making use of their abilities in a tactically useful way, I guess, but yeah, for Johnny in particular, it was one of those real balancing acts because he's the central character, mm-hmm. and we want it to be good, and you know without work having word on myself, you know I can imagine the judges and Dredd in particular being the same for the judge dread game. It's like well, you need to for somebody who basically just turns up and shoots the bad guys it's like how do you mess with that how do you you know as a writer in the strip you have to find ways to mess with that and as a designer in a game you have to find ways to mess with that so they have to think a bit more outside the box and things so hopefully you know that's kind of one of the things that comes through in the particularly like campaign and scenarios is that playing to type i suppose is beneficial
0: No, definitely. I th- and, and as I say, it's more to be honest, because certainly Wolf, I do feel that you're encouraged to get him in amongst with a happy stick and start yeah. battering down things. It was just, it's not that I think Johnny is designed to do that. Like I say, kind of camping as it were. It's just more that I was aware of the fact that I could abuse that, I feel like. <laughs> yes, we <were>. yeah, <laughs> Like you said, there's no fun in that. To me, it's the fun is having Johnny in amongst the action, shooting the place up, hopefully getting that star chip out back out of the bag again or yeah. well, back into and back out again so that you can go on these kind of rampages that, that to me is far more fun than just sitting at the back of a battlefield behind a building or something like that so yeah sorry if I was again creating a <laughs> false impression there it's not it doesn't come through to me that that's how you should play it it's just something that occurred to me when I was doing it and I, I can't do that can't do that. yes you mentioned there about the scenarios or jobs as they're called in Strontium Dog yeah and again these brought more narrative and variety of play to the tabletop. I was wondering if you maybe tell the listeners a little bit about how you developed these and if you had a, any particular favourites yourself.
1: Yes, so the jobs, as I was explaining before, like, you know, the scenarios themselves break into two parts, which is the jobs and the encounters. So it's a way of just kind of making a bit more variation and, again, a little bit less predictability in terms of what you'd be facing. It's the fundamental unit of Stronty Dog is the job. <laughs> you know, it's like the narrative arc is one job, Whether that's, as I say, whether that's one prog or three or five or whatever, you know, it's either it's the shickle group of grab or it's the killing, uh, which is what they're there to do. again, talking about like very particular words and stuff and how they can make a difference, which is why one character is the protagonist. Originally, we sort of like we, we use like terms like attacker and defender or uh, various other ones, but actually having protagonists, putting people in the position of a narrative character, you know, your role is protagonist in this story, just makes a little, again, it's not a big deal, but it's just another little thing that kind of puts people's heads in the right place. So the idea that the protagonist is there to achieve something, that basically they're there for a payday of some kind which is you know the heart of the strip for the most part is Johnny and Wolf turn up and they're on a job and so and then the encounter part of it is actually basically how did that job come about so actually you know are they attacking somebody at their base or is it you know an ambush in the street or are they out in the wilds have they had the tables turned on them that kind of stuff mm-hmm. one of my favorites i think cuz it's the space western my favorite probably is the showdown kind of and parley type one so it's not just a, it's not a gunfight from the start there's actually a little bit of tension about who's going to start firing first and some kind of like headology of like maneuvering for position without trying to show your hand too much so it's a nice little slow burn start and then when it and then it all kind of uh somebody draws and then it all kicks off which i think is yeah that kind of like that's the most western story i can think of which makes it very stronty.
0: and <laughs> it made the me The uh, the good, bad and ugly, the kind of big showdown between the three of them and the the circle. I really loved that scenario for that reason because I'm a huge fan of those films as well. Just like, yeah, they're all kind of, you know, it's like they're all um, eyeballing each other before who's going to make the first move.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: That was great fun, I agree with you.
1: So, yeah, uh, but I think you know, there's also quite like the one with uh, the the C's one as well, where there's like an informant or a kind of person of interest. So actually, and they are a model that kind of gets to move and fight and things. So again, they're not, it, it's not just a marker on a table that you're trying to capture it's a person and that person might be just a bit of an inept klutz that you're just trying to keep safe or whatever or could be quite dangerous in their own right depending on the dice roll at the start of the scenario it's like you turn up to seize someone and actually they turn out to have a, a pretty good gun and a, a fairly good shot and you're like all oh, right actually um but again that was one as well where there was a decision that you can make you know you can make if you think they're going to get captured the defender can choose to try and take them out themselves instead <laughs> so that they don't get because they have to be subdued and taken out so it's like actually killing the informant so the game can swap almost once and once they try and take out the informant or whoever the person of interest is then actually they're fighting on both sides So there's a lot to and fro then of like you know you might be trying to drag him off the table edge at one point and, and try and move them away from the trouble the next they're uh actually turning on their guns on you because you've you know you tried to take them out and failed or whatever uh, so yeah uh, i think those are quite fun and and uh, for me you know there's a couple of standard ones like the headhunt and things which are kind of pretty much you know, that's johnny that's johnny alpha stories there to take somebody out yeah. you know dead or alive uh you're coming with me kind of thing which are quite, you know, and then there's lots of wrinkles around that. I think that's that's what I'd call the core Johnny story, really. But actually, I like I like the ones that are a little bit further out there, like I said, a bit more narrative even than that, which is like the showdown or the the seas type. The, the ones that have got objectives that aren't just about taking out guys on the other side, really.
0: Yeah, and all the options that are there give it a good variety of play that feels like things are constantly changing when you're playing, a, particularly when you're playing a campaign. Speaking of which... In a previous podcast, we and I matched Max Bubba's criminality by neglecting to discuss the Strontium Dog Miniatures Game campaign system, which is which is really great, and it was a major oversight on my part. So I apologise to listeners. So perhaps we can put that to rights, and I was wondering if you maybe say a little bit about it and
1: how it deepens the whole Strontium Dog experience. Yes, uh, I mean as as i sort of noted in the book, I suppose, one of the one of the one of the keys about the key things we wanted to do with the campaign. Like focusing on the narrative is that it kind of had to be this more meta story so normally in a campaign for these sort of things like you collect your warband or your gang or whatever your team and you play and you gain some experience and maybe they get some buy some better weapons and your guys get better shot or you know they get a skill and they can do a certain thing and stuff like that which is cool you know that's fun but that's absolutely not what happens in the strip unless you go back to portrait of a mutant when johnny's a kid Johnny Alpha is already a badass, gunslinging, gunfighter, you know, bounty hunter from the start. Mm-hmm. Or, as kind of says in the book, you know, Bin Facebook, he doesn't start toting around a blazooka because he rolled it on a table somewhere. You know, he has the same weapons, you know, because they're established narrative characters, really. So it had to work a different way. It had to be about the story, really, of these gangs, uh, these bands kind of fighting and and doing jobs. And, and essentially, the idea is... You know, because they're not fighting for territory, they're not fighting for, you know, revenge or generally, um, and stuff like that. They're fighting for creds. And that that was made, again, that was the thing It's like, these are kind of fairly mercenary groups, as much as they might end up being accidental heroes and anti-heroes and stuff. So it was all about the creds, really, and can you amass enough for a nice retirement? Or, you know, you go off-world, and you're going to live in happiness in a villa somewhere, or a shack, as Johnny and Wolf ended up doing. Well Because actually, one of the things is, of course, they never actually end up with any money, because Johnny always ends up giving it away to orphans or spending it on time bombs or whatever. He should be like a billionaire, the amount of successful jobs he's done, but he never actually ends up with any money. Yeah. One because, of course, that just ends the strip. But two because you know that's part of his character. Actually, is not really in it for the money. Um, he just likes to pretend he is. Whereas Wolf is Wolf is much more mercenary mm-hmm. than he is. So you know, the killing alone, they should have been able to like at least clear their costs and then buy themselves a spaceship. So that's very much it. It's, it's that idea of balancing the books, almost, of like uh, of growing the assets around a bandit leader who's kind of got together with a few like-minded individuals, either one side of the law or the other. Um, and it's going to make some bank and retire basically uh, on the the proceeds of that, and then essentially, you know. But the real story, the real journey, was the you know the enemies we made along the way. So for a campaign system, that's quite different and required some, some very different thinking about what progress meant, what the proceeds of victory were, and the difference between uh, and how recruiting worked when you've got you know you've got very set normally. And again, and like if I think about Blood Bowl, the games like that, is you know most stuff is actually your creation and you might have one or two named characters from the ip you know like a special player you know or something like that whereas actually this is almost the opposite the chances are most of your band are going to be characters whose equipment and personality and skills and stuff are already very well established in the in the strips and then you might have one or two that you've invented yourself or some wasters or some uh, goons and stuff like that on the side so that's a very different dynamic for a campaign than most kind of miniatures campaigns so it was it was a case of like again story first i suppose is what what made that difference and that story being making money making money spending money trying to trying to come out on top after each game and also things like in the injuries as again as it says in the book in the injuries thing it's like well characters only get seriously hurt and and, and or killed when it's narratively useful Um, and it was a similar kind of situation because one of the other things we wanted to do as well is allow people to use our miniatures collection so like we said earlier you you can combine the models in any way you want you can pretend they're from alternative dimensions or shapeshifters or whatever you know you can all have Johnny and Wolf if you really wanted to Only one of them is the real Johnny and Wolf which is obviously the one that you've got whoever you happen to be or stuff like that to so be very flexible about it not be restrictive at all about people's miniatures collections, so they can add models in and change kind of like um change that like as you said they can add people to their warband and things as they're going along uh, but also at the same point it's like you don't want to get johnny killed in the first game and you're like oh i'll so say i don't get to use johnny for the rest of the campaign well that's not much fun just because i have to roll you know a double one on 2d6 or something so again Characters always survive, and it's just about the story or the scrapes or how long they're in a bit of a state after that. And you can leave them out of your warband to kind of recover, or they're, essentially they're wounded. And again, that adds part of the narrative. You go, actually, ooh, Johnny's still coming back to the thing, but he's actually not quite 100%. So he's going to be vulnerable. So actually, if you're going to go for him, now's a really good time to try and take him out, or whatever it might be, because those are the things that happen in the strip. Johnny doesn't get killed in the strip, you <laughs> know. Wolf does eventually. Sorry, spoilers, but that becomes a thing. You know that's a. And as, as I said, we've got a whole section on extra narrative. If you really want to get into that, you know, people can. You can just play games and just make up stories in between. You know, all of this is sort of kind of a structure for people playing either pickup games or uh, an organised campaign, you know, like a store or a club or something like that. But you know, if you really want to, you can just throw all that out of the window and just use the system to fight out whatever you want to come up with for that storyline whatever your imagination you know you can just fight a battle see what happens and then decide what happens next and fight that game and then see what happens next and, and so on it's uh flexible enough to do that
0: yeah one of the things obviously you were saying about adding characters to the band and obviously i'd mentioned about the outlaw strip where that seemed to kind of happen where the johnny's band kind of grew and grew was that partly inspired by that and the likes of portrait of a, Mut- a mutant as well where johnny has he seems to kind of have extra allies was that part of the thinking behind the campaign system as well
1: yes yeah definitely it's it's a thing and also you know yeah and again allowing people to have more flexibility about which models they use so they might not you know you might add models but not necessarily take them in every you might have like eight models in your band but you might only ever be using four at a time if you really want to because mm. some are injured or whatever and you get that flexibility then and get to play differently um but yeah the idea also of just like recruiting more guys you know Bubba's sort of gang slowly expanding, or you know, other people joining together, more and more sticks showing up, <laughs> or wherever it might be. You know, going from a sticks to the Sticks Brothers to there's a planet of sticks. What? Yeah. You know, a whole set of sticks kind of thing is quite fun, and that's yeah, that's something that happens in the story. They gain allies because they do other stuff. You know, Journey to Hell, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Again, it's, it's various other people. They sometimes. They gain allies, but also they end up fighting various different enemies. Essentially, in the light of a campaign, they potentially would be within one band, but you're not necessarily fielding them all at the same time. And it does come down to like the number of players, the stuff you've got. You know, again, we wanted to make sure there was always variety. So it doesn't matter who else you're playing in the campaign; it feels like there's something, it's adding something to the whole narrative.
0: Yeah, definitely. And continuing on the, the theme of flexibility, one of the things I thought was really good and interesting about it was for the campaign that you can do a really short campaign that only last a few sessions, back with you know a real sprawling campaign that could be played against weeks or you know more likely months. To be honest, I was curious to know about your own personal preference for campaigns. Do you prefer to be towards a shorter one or out for the full out epic?
1: I think I'd tend towards shorter. Shorter burn thing if only because i think they're less likely to run out of steam i mean that was one of the very definite things was like there was an end to the campaign it is was, it wasn't just a there was an end point at which point you could say that your band had succeeded in their goal and had enough money and could retire and so and where you set that line obviously kind of um influences how long the campaign is going to be but you know something if you're you know if you're aiming for a campaign to last six months and after three months actually people are starting to go this is really cool, you know, still having fun, but actually, you know, they've started playing other games and they're not quite getting as many games in. And, you, you know, that it's trying to dragged on a bit too far. So I think it's much better to kind of aim fairly short, you know, say maybe, oh, well, we're going to do two, a campaign for two months. Uh, depending on how often you can get together, obviously, nobody's doing a lot yeah. at the moment. Um, but, you know, it's like if you've got a fairly regular group and you're playing every week, then you go, that's cool, you can do a campaign, you know, over two months. Yeah. And you've got, like, eight games in, and that's going to be quite fun, or three months. And if some of you, you know, like if you're playing at a friends' houses, because of course, if you're at a club, you can actually swap, you know. So there might be four or five of you there, and you can, two or three of you can, you can have a couple of games going, but then get a couple of games in an evening, because it doesn't take that long to play necessarily once you know what you're doing. Yeah. So you can actually, the number of games isn't necessarily just the number of times you can get together, but actually the number of games you can get in can be quite high. I think, you know, to say you get some of the fun stuff, because you want to be, you know, I think somewhere between a sprint and a, a slightly longer... It's not a marathon. I don't think... If you play too long, I think, like I say, it starts to become just socially, you know, it's like, okay, we're gonna, how are we going to organize this? So we getting together and all the rest of it? So, yeah, I, I would I would top out a campaign probably at three months, depending on how often you play. I probably wouldn't aim... Because it's like, if you have fun and you want to carry on, just start another campaign.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. As opposed to if you're not having fun, obviously you'd be having fun. It's a brilliant game. But, yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, play if you want a break... Uh, let's be honest you might want to then you can do that rather than feeling you know if people starting to feel obliged that they've got to turn up it's like role-playing games and things like that so it's great to go on now but it's nice to have not even planning a mid-season break you know it's like Mm. actually we're going to play for three months and this is going to be but actually and then we're going to take a month off and we're going to play some stuff and do whatever else and then we're going to have another three months you know second part of the season there's lots of different ways you can do it but uh, yeah my experience and inclination is always aim smaller (laughs) And then you can always add on, whereas you can't go the other way. So it's like, oh, actually, wow, Bob's won within four weeks because he did got those two really fantastic jobs. You go, okay, cool. Well, we'll up the bar then and we'll keep going. You know, actually retirement is at, you know, one and a half million credits not a million creds, or whatever it might be. And I think that's the thing as well is you want a bit of space to play around because the idea is that, you know, you're kind of, you're having to balance that long term versus short term in the campaign, of like short term, you just want to try and put everything into your savings and just try and hit that victory goal, really. But if you do too much of that, then you're going to start losing on the tabletop because you've not invested in characters and guys are getting wounded and you know that kind of stuff. So then you start thinking, Well, I need to get a sawbones or I need to get an armory to uh, I need to be winning more. And hopefully, all those things kind of balance out a little bit. You know, the financial management, which is what it comes down to a lot of it, uh, then starts to kick in. But that's a strategy so as well as tactics on tabletop you might have a campaign strategy of like no, i'm going to hit the ground hard and try and save as hard as i can and try and win before everyone anyone else catches me up but of course then you might start running into trouble and even you, you know find yourself not having enough collateral from game to game and stuff like that so uh, it's another way of another narrative i suppose that you get to impose on the game so you don't want it too short you know it's like oh yeah we're just going to have four games go well that's probably not enough for that to quite develop because everyone's just going to be sprinting whereas actually if it's like yeah we're going to have like eight games ten games something like that, 12 games, or you're hoping to kind of aim around about that level, then it gives you time to start people to start thinking, okay, it's worth investing in some of these longer term things in the campaign.
0: And also think when you were talking there about the options that you've got in the campaign, you can do things like hire specialists to help, you, or you can upgrade your band's layer, which is kind of handy because sometimes your, your layer can come under attack. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I was imagining that you probably had a whole host of possibilities swirling your head for all these different things. Could do for the campaign. I was wondering, did you have any problems narrowing that selection down?
1: Yes, I I wanted to make sure each thing had a kind of very specific role, I suppose. So there's, I remember years ago working with Jervis Johnson at GW, and he made a very good point on games design about making significant decisions. And obviously, People's value of significant can vary depending on the game and things like that. But I wanted stuff that was going to be a decision. It's like it's a chunk of your money and your future prosperity, in in theory, to upgrade a thing, to invest in a specialist, Uh, which meant that basically they had to be fairly important and have, I suppose, there there was only so many ways that I could monkey with the rules. Kind of work quite well with the mechanics and the systems we've already got, mm. but also they maybe some of them had been in the scenarios, but were just too complicated for a scenario. But actually, they shouldn't. um in the rules and things as well, where you go, actually that that scenario has gone over a page of rules now. That's probably a bit too much. We're just in the strips again that aren't necessarily there all the time strontium dogs and things sometimes have to you know they have to make a base somewhere or they have a hideout or they've got the dog house itself it's mm-hmm. the resources they've got backing them up from the any local authorities stuff like that again as with the chicanery and things it's like there's probably stuff if i was to read reading this story again actually that's just like so obviously a layer upgrade or whatever it might be that i i kind of missed but because i think we went through fairly stringently at the start and tried to just most of the stuff that we thought was a cool thing ended up being in there somewhere, as either an ability, you know, a character's ability or an armory card or a card or in a scenario or whatever. So hopefully we got pretty much everything covered. And I think certainly in terms of things you'd want to do with your gang, in terms of like patching them up or equipping them or defending them or all that kind of stuff is, is covered as well. And, and also things that make a good story. So you know, being able to actually, the idea of like running a pub kind of thing of which it kind of attracts more lowlife to you and makes it like easier to you know have a cantina, you know, Moss Eisley style to attract ne'er-do-wells and things like that. It's quite fun, you know, and that's different to the people that have kind of invested in a weapons cachet and stables or whatever. So the lair and the people around you become part of your band's character as much as the model's in it, hopefully. Yeah,
0: it's got its own personality as well.
1: Yeah kind of narrative again behind it.
0: One of the other aspects is the Deeds system, which I thought was really inspired as you gain bonus rerolls as your experience is about 100 hunter but at the same time, your notoriety and value to enemies increases, which basically means that your experienced characters become even more prime targets for enemy bands. And I thought that was really clever because it works from a narrative standpoint, but it also addresses a problem which I've noticed with some other campaign systems and other games where if one side's doing better than the other overall, you get this kind of power creep basically where one side then really dominates the campaign. I was wondering if that notoriety and increase in bounty was a kind of helpful mechanic that was flavorful to the setting. But I was wondering if it was intended to mitigate some of that kind of power creep and imbalance that can develop in a campaign.
1: Yeah, there were a couple of reasons for it, really. Like I say, yeah, there were three things that it was intended to do. One of which was slightly address that idea of gangers gaining, gaining experience and getting a bit better. Like I say, we didn't want to change their stats necessarily or give them different equipment. Where re-roll is a nice, easy one of just like making somebody a bit better. And then and your leader in particular, again, can use it in slightly different situations. So you end up being able to manipulate the scenarios or the payoff or whatever it might be in slightly different ways. So that, that was quite interesting uh, and did allow characters to develop themselves without massively changing who they are. Mm-hmm. They just got better, like I said, better at what they already do, as opposed to doing more things. But without uh, you know, re-roll's just a nice easy way of doing that. The second one, like I say, was as a kind of an un- that kind of idea of an underdog bonus. The fact that you might end up taking on a gang of a higher notoriety. There's already a mechanism in a basic game, even. You know, one of the things we haven't really talked about is the fact that you don't even have to agree necessarily at a, a notoriety level you can just choose which models you want that's it. and then essentially if somebody's overspent by loads compared to the other person then they get chicanery cards to kind of even the odds a bit yeah. but also the idea that actually if if you decide to kind of take on a band that's got much more experience and notoriety than you taking out people is worth more so actually uh, and, and more conversely it's not worth the big guys continue picking on the little guys i suppose that's the thing because normally it's like, oh, I get, you know, I get five experience points for taking out a character, uh, and it doesn't make any difference whether that's a starting band or your closest rival. Whereas actually, the third reason was that it accelerates the campaign because as everybody rises up, everyone starts earning more for bounties because the people they're taking out are worth more and things like that. But then they also cost more to get patched up because that's based on your notoriety as well and things like that. So actually, it stops the campaign becoming a grind because if everyone's still only worth like. 23,000 creds or whatever their notoriety is you know at the end of the campaign it's going to take a long time but one of the things you notice in the strip is they get big scores sometimes that was the thing is it kind of came from the strip almost of like I could never I went through and I tried to work out you know what's the average bounty and stuff and there isn't one because essentially Aaron Magna or whatever just made up John Magna just made up values off the top of his head and they're not always in creds and all that kind of stuff so I couldn't really work out what bounty levels you know an average bounty where sometimes like aha yeah here's two outlaws that nobody's heard of and there's sixty thousand creds, credits and then uh, another time it's like half a million credits on this and so i wanted i wanted to be people to be able to be very valuable you know it's like if you're doing really well with bubba and he's worth a million and a half credits or whatever so like that's really important but if you can take him down mm-hmm. and it's part of that meta campaign i suppose It's a simple mechanic, but actually the players talking amongst themselves and the psychology of the players is like, actually, I want to go and pick a fight with them because I want to try and take him down and I want a piece of that bounty. But I know they're really hard (laughs) because... Because, you know, that bounty's there for a reason, because he's actually he's done 18 deeds, and that's no small feat, you know. So, yeah, so that was the three things, really, yeah, of just, like, a very simple experience system, a bit of an underdog system, but also just a way of reflecting the different bounties in the strip and ensuring that the people in the campaign kind of accelerate towards the end and get more stuff and can buy more and save more, I suppose, as you play more.
0: Yeah, I hadn't actually thought of that, about the rising bounty on them, Um yeah, it works really well. <laughs> when you explain it, it seems obvious now that you've said it, but I hadn't really
1: thought of it. Well in a way that's good because you haven't noticed it but it's been there, <laughs> you know, as opposed to it being kinda of like slapping you in the face like this. So yeah, that's cool. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and the other thing that's in it is the uh, grudges, that's the kind of final flourisher pain system, which is friendly that doesn't know a band that isn't really performing well or racking up many deeds. The grudge points help build like a resentment and rivalry between bands and again kind of following up what we we're saying in the actual built-in gameplay but there's sometimes unexpected and flavorful bonuses and i just love that idea that kind of simmering fury if <laughs> you've, you've been you've taking a beat yeah. to benefit you i thought um, that was great
1: yeah again it's, it was another thing that's in the strip you know mm-hmm. we keep talking about rage you know that's the ultimate grudge but also what spurs that which is of course Bobber's grudge against Johnny and Alpha for them foiling all these kind of his time travel robbery type stuff or actually he's trying to destroy the future world of norms, isn't he? I think it's, a, it's his mad gold in the end. So that was something from the strips that I wanted to include, this idea of this building a grudge and but also just another mechanism for keeping the campaign interesting and given, uh, like I said there were there were certain things, mechanics or interesting bits of it like, were in the game but were kind of in the wrong place and actually the grudge abilities you know and the idea of it letting it. you can either let it off early and kind of get a, a smaller bonus or you can just let it build and build and then let that wound fester and fester <laughs> until you, you know, if you get it up to like I think is it 50 or something like that grudges against a particular band and you you, just, so you can just do the hit you can do the Bubba ambushes Johnny and Wolf in their retirement shack scenario basically because you're just that mad for revenge now uh, and, and also, it gives you another level to who you're, you know, it's like if you've got three or four players in a campaign, actually changing the games and the dynamics between you so that actually the games at the end of the campaign aren't Even if you have not really changed that much at all, the few little things that have, the few things like the grudges and the deeds and stuff just mean that those games at the end aren't going to play the same way as the games at the start without necessarily changing a single model, even in your warband. The rules around them have changed. So, and the idea that you're deliberately going after the same. Big, slightly maybe slightly more powerful war band and hope of building up grudge against them is a the thing. You know, hoping that you don't maybe you don't you're not paying too much in injury bills, and you've invested in the sawbones or whatever to help with that. Uh, and then you just keep banging your head against the big guy until you get what you want, and then you're going to pay it all off in one big. Uh, you know, because uh, because they're you know you're going to get that bounty from them using your grudges as well. There's a good way of, like I say, even if somebody looks like they're racing ahead and they've won quite a few games, there's a lot of checks and balances in the campaign system. To, and again, grudges are one of those. Mm-hmm. Just do it in a fun way, I think.
0: Oh, absolutely. I thought the campaign system was really brilliant. You know, as I say, I felt like every aspect, it kind of ticked every box that, that I was looking for as a fan of this strip. And certainly the campaign, again, just added another layer of all this kind of unpredictability and backstabbing and, and so on those kind of aspects which are the things that make the strip what it is you know so I suppose um, just getting back to the kind of general set then one of the things that kind of struck me about the starter set was how beautifully presented the rule books were which had a great mix of the game photos and images from the strip I'm guessing obviously as a fan yourself it must have been a bit of a thrill seeing as as artwork used to such effect to illustrate and complement your rules
1: yes yeah I mean it's a it's just a nice looking book because he's got such a style it just holds together nicely anyway just by featuring his art and there's a nice contrast actually because of course a lot of the really old art is black and white and things and we see a lot of full color books and there is some color in there and photos and all sorts of stuff but actually there's something nice and old school about black and white illustration as well yeah there's kind of a nod back to that And as we've just discussed before the cards you know that was one of the the jobs we did is we went through and like I say, some of them, we already had panels that we wanted to use because they had been the inspiration and the other ones that had come about because it was kind of a cool mechanic or it was a sort of a thing that we thought should be in there. One of the last things we did was go through and pick out particular illustrations or sequences either for the cards or for particular spreads mm-hmm. on the book and stuff like that and say, oh, actually, this panel here on, you know, from Prague, whatever, story, is a really good one to illustrate the subdued rule. Or oh, whatever, I don't know I'm making that up. But do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. actually in particular panels close in particular rule sections was kind of part of some of our thinking because it it's like well this is the part of the story that inspired us to put this kind of thing in the game. Yeah. Um, and obviously again having just like character illustrations and things already made it nice. The one I'm looking up here is, is Showdown, actually. Mm-hmm. And it's just got a picture and it's like it's just Johnny's legs, but it's got him going, Gooba you know, it's kind of the step outside and there's him going, Oh snack <laughs> And it's just you know it's like that's that story is why there's a showdown scenario or showdown job in there. The bushwhack one is like you know is Johnny Wolf and Minface face when they're kind of like they're basically being they're pinned down by the Howlers. I think that's in the, uh when they go out to clear out. Was it Precinct Forty Nine or something? It's, it's it's amnesty ends and it's just like dozens of bounty hunters all kind of converge to see how much they can get. Um, so yeah using the art as part of the narrative i suppose which is what has happened in the strips but actually making those connections for people but also yeah it's like this is what inspired us to make these parts of this game it it carries all the way through in the presentation as well
0: and obviously another huge part of the miniatures game are the miniatures themselves (laughs) Yeah. so which were your your personal favorites
1: uh, I'd say the sticks, actually. I really like the sticks, just because I like them anyway. So we've kind of discussed them a bit. I think we've obviously got that in common. <laughs> and, 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 the, and The thing is, of course, actually, I don't know how it is for the miniature designer, really, but obviously it's a bit of an easy job, really, that one, because they all look the same. So it's just like, it's basically one miniature, like, posed three different ways, and they never do anything. They're never leaping about or doing anything difficult to pose and stuff. They just, But they carry that gravitas and that kind of that feel. It's just there in the solidity and actually the rigidness of the miniatures, which in some cases wouldn't work. For The sticks, works really well. Mm-hmm. And as a, as a surprise vote, perhaps, not because they're not, they're not good, but um, I really like the wasters, actually. Yeah, like, There's just kind of three random wasters, but they're, they're particularly good, I think, because they're not necessarily a specific Esquerra design. Not necessarily, but they feel like they are. And they've just got the elements, and the, the three are very different, but also just got those common common elements that Ezra would have put on them with like the pads and the style and things like that. So from like very iconic sticks figure to actually almost generic, but actually still very distinctive, kind of like a, like a waster. They're there as chaff, really, in your band. They get used, they're extras, essentially, in the story, but actually still just as characterful as the big-named characters. Yeah. Uh, so that's, yeah, I really like them as well.
0: Although I, I thought they were actually
1: based on the panel we just mentioned about Goober. Well, I think so, yeah. It's that good that I plucked out background characters, like you said, which work, that choice works really well, even though we never necessarily know exactly who they are. And things, yeah. So it would have been easy just to, to design some kind of generic sci-fi Western-type characters or not, but going that you know, going back to the source material and using it even on like the lowest level, guys. And the same with the build a similar sort of thing of like, there's obviously just trying to get that Esquerra style, like we said, not kind of dramatic, just kind of slightly ludicrous in many situations. Painful deformity kind of mutations and combining them together in different ways is is very effective. And, and again, it's very much in the style of the strip.
0: And I agree with you about the sticks. I loved it. As somebody that's much more about the playing of games and less involved in the I find it relaxing sometimes to do the painting. More, it's a case more it's a case of I <laughs> want to get them painted so I can get on with the game. That's that's how I come at it. Yeah. <laughs> so I love the sticks as well. I've got two sets of sticks, and um, part of the reason I got two was because um, well, one of those characters, you know, that there's a huge clan of. Them. Eventually, you kind of realise that there's, there's there's loads of them. Yes. Yeah. But also because when I first started out with Strontium Dog, it was the quality comics, which is a, a bit of a <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the, and the sticks were in red duster coats and that. So that was right. my first experience of the sticks. <laughs> and then subsequently I found out it was like, you know, more like the kind of cream.
1: Yeah, they're very, like more traditional kind of like, yeah. So I've got I've got
0: one set that's red and one set that's kind of cream so that cool. I, I can do that kind of thing. Sometimes it's, the red guys are the ones that usually team up with the outlaws and the, and the other ones are the... Oh,
1: uh, that's cool. Yeah, I like
0: those ones <laughs> as well for the same reason.
1: Because <laughs> I'm very lazy with <laughs> That's just a big coat hat. Huh? That's pretty much done. Yeah, <laughs> that's good.
0: Um, I was also wondering, obviously, you know, you've got a long career in gaming and you're well used to releasing games, but I was wondering if the fact that you were adapting a well-loved 2000 AD strip into a game brought any additional pressures? Did you feel that, you know, fandom were going to be looking over your shoulders as to what you were doing? Which we were, obviously, in fairness.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose so. But I think, I, I didn't feel this pressure because I think, both Andy and I, the pressures just kind of internal anyway, particularly as fans, but also just wanting to do a good job whatever it is. But also, in some ways, the material and stuff we knew was so rich, mm-hmm. I suppose. So it wasn't necessarily the fans, but the material that we wanted to do right by it. Mm-hmm. You know, like I say, there's a lot of legacy there, and we wouldn't, we wouldn't be happy with ourselves, I guess. You know, fans can be slightly, fandoms can be uh, slightly contradictory in what they like and all the rest of it stuff. So, you know, it wasn't like we want to hit these particular things because it'll please the players. It's like, no, we want to hit these because this is what it's about. This is what's right about it. This is why people like it and why we like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and essentially, as like I said start off by designing a game that we wanted to play and that we enjoyed playing and gave us the sort of feels... That we wanted to have playing an Australian dog game, and then hopefully, hopefully, that will be translated into other fans. And because we approached it from that way, I suppose it wasn't. It didn't really feel like out of pressure. It felt like an opportunity mm-hmm. to do that. To do, uh, it's like, well, I'm so glad we've been given this opportunity to do this because it'd really bug me if somebody else was doing it and they didn't do it right, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, and they could approach it in a very different way. So yeah, it was. It was definitely and I think because of the two of us doing it together and, and we work well together and 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 kind of know each other's strengths and weaknesses and where we kind of complement each other and stuff like that, the pressure was off a little bit for that as well, because sometimes you know as a game designer pretty freelance, you know it's just you and then obviously you get people to play test and stuff, but actually, this is very much a two brains we better than one because we just look at different things and see different things uh, and play differently and stuff like that, so actually that meant that you know. If I was trying to design this on my own, like just the, some of the crunchier end of stuff and trying to just like design all those characters and stat lines and things like that, I'd do it, but actually my strengths, my best areas are actually, you know, is in the narrative and is in kind of like the, the slightly more the development side of stuff. Whereas Andy's like hot on the design and, and that basic system and getting that to work and then having somebody like me monkey around with it uh, and in different ways, but also just deconstructing story and all that kind of stuff. So... It didn't feel like, oh, you know, like if people, well, one, because we were just pleased with it, so we didn't, it wasn't a case of like, oh, what if people hate this? But also it's like, no, we really enjoy this. So I think people are going to really enjoy it as well.
0: Yeah. And I think, I think they have certainly more experience. I just think it's, I don't really know what else you could have done with it, to be honest, because it feels to me as if everything's in there that a fan of the strip would want to see.
1: Yeah. I mean, that certainly seems to be the way, you know, it's like the interactions we've had, there's always bits there's you know just like technicalities and all that kind of stuff, and you can always tidy up stuff and you think oh i would do that slightly differently and stuff, but I think the discussion around it and you know just even talking you know talking to you and and like the involvement you have with various groups and and stuff like that, is that it's hit the notes we wanted it to hit you know like the the responses are the ones that we had rather than it's not like we haven't created a scene that suddenly it's been treated very differently. It's like no people have got it we've managed to communicate what we wanted to communicate i suppose as a game and as an ethos for the game and everyone seems to agree that's a cool one and and like I say even like and even if there are like very hardcore players who are trying to like really grind the system and do that and stuff it's like it's still robust enough to to handle most of that as well you know and the rest of it's just like well any other game system's going to crack under that kind of pressure But similarly, make sure that actually the people that are just there for the fun and rolling toy soldiers and having a drink and pushing, uh, sorry, rolling toy soldiers and rolling dice. Don't want to roll your toy soldiers. Um, (laughs) uh, They can do it as well. It's not, you know, it's a very approachable system. It's, you know, it's good fun. So it's got those layers to it. And I think people seem to have responded very well to that. And part of that's just kind of clear communication in the book itself about what we're trying to do. People understand what we're doing, why the game is the way it is. And when you do that, You've answered half the questions anyway, so because a lot of feedback slash criticism slash opinion about games and things isn't necessarily about, oh, well, actually, this thing isn't balanced or this thing doesn't work. It's a case of like, well, I see these as being more of a strength three than a strength four type of thing. And it's, it's kind of more, especially when it's informed of an IP. And I think we've hit the net, you know, because we've managed to convey a lot of that character and the individuals and, and stuff. There doesn't seem to be a lot of that, well, I think that's what's most pleasing is people seem to like our interpretation of it, I suppose. As much as the nuts and bolts of how the game works and everything else, people like our version of Strontium Dog, the universe and the characters and how they act. Oh, definitely.
0: I suppose one final question would be, in the months that followed the release of Strut and Dog, all the characters in featured in the core rulebook were soon released, but so too were additional characters like the trailers and the Mutant Army Generals. I was wondering if there was any personal favourites of your own that haven't yet made it to the tabletop that you'd still like to see added to the game?
1: Well, the, the thing, sort of going back right to the start, because the thing, and we talked about this and we made sure it's kind of possible in the game, that I'd really... I would like to do, I suppose, if I, if it's like, if, you're just, if I was to add something to it, is I'd really like to do the killing, and, and it could be quite as easy as just adding in some of those characters. So you've got like vicious, malicious, the thing we've already got Steel Krieg. There's uh, the dirty clones, and of course the Osmongs <laughs> It's not a good. both of those are nice, easy ones for a ministry's design. It's like, well, just get it right once and then just change the posies. And that would be cool because you could do that. But actually, I like the idea because that was one of my first big memories of Stronti Dog is the killing. You know, I remember that more than the Moses incident, even though I read the Moses incident first looking back. So and it must have worked because it summed up. It sums up, you know, as much as any of the other stories. As an introduction, it just summed up Johnny and Wolf brilliantly, which is like they're there and they're bounty hunters and they're killing people and it's all a bit, you know, it's like this is quite anti-hero stuff and things. But actually, there's a couple of times where they, you know, it's like he's not worth anything. He's what are you doing here? The guy is going to get gutted and they let you know they shoot, they shoot the thing and they let the guy go free and it gets blown up by somebody else later, obviously, but it's like they're just there to, to make the play on the words. They're there to make a killing in a different way, uh, and the cleverness at the end, using the time bomb to escape as well, it's because he's like, oh, how are you going to get out of this? And he's like, oh, Johnny's already thought of this kind of, <laughs> uh, you know, throws the time. He's like, he's not used the time bomb. It's the uh, Chekhov's time bomb almost. You know, he's got it there right at the start and never uses it, this kind of thing, because actually it's part of their escape plan. Yeah. So it's all there, and actually, it'd be quite nice, and you could recreate it. And I think you know, like, because because quite a few. Of the cards, that particularly again, the chicanery cards are inspired by moments in the killing and things like that. Rather than you know just kind of getting stuff at random, what you do is you just sign armory cards and you'd sign chicanery cards. Um, but it'd be, it'd be a big multiplayer type thing, I think. You know, mm-hmm. you'd want to have three, four, five players kind of thing, and that would need some monkeying with the, the system really. You just need some different kind of chips really, as it comes down to. It. But there's also, I think, there would be one or two other bits that we'd want to tweak for a kind of very multiplayer game. So that'd be really cool. You know, I think that seems to me as a nice bunch of characters that haven't been very explored, because they only appear in that one ship. They still have that kind of, that classic kind of Esquerra design, and, you know, they've got enough of a personality, even in the short appearances, yeah. like Steel Creek has, that you can create a, a little story, and you can create a little rule set around them.
0: Yeah, I have played like a, a I think I've played four players uh, for strontium dog before yeah so i do think it's definitely doable and yeah i'll maybe do that then in a video at some point i'll try and try and run <laughs> the kill in a four player game that would be that would be good
1: fun that would be cool yes yeah I think just get this
0: over this pandemic and get back to well, some yeah. proper gaming <laughs>
1: be, uh, yes it'd be nice nearly there nearly hopefully that's it there's a way out now so it's cool yes yes i think that's that's the thing of like uh one of the things doing the um doing the starts at the the good the bad and the muty, which was about you know in those that was where it was kind of off the peg scenarios and stuff. Everything that's in there is actually from the scenarios and from the chicanery and stuff like that. But we've pre chosen it. And that was one of the things actually was quite interesting. And like I say, we've kind of done worked with that a bit further. And I think there's some cool stuff you can do about actually creating more narratives just by selecting, like saying actually, oh you've got this, this and this chicanery card to start with, rather than it being random, uh, you know, and actually this guy's got this armory card already. And then the other two are random stuff like that. You can actually create fairly bespoke scenarios quite easily. Mm-hmm. So that's something we could, you know, would be fun to do more of as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. I'd love to see if there was any more things like that. That would be good fun. So yeah, I think that pretty much I've exhausted all my questions here. <laughs> so thank you very much for coming on talk about it. I think that was a great conversation. I really enjoyed listening to it. I hope everybody else that's uh, listening in did as well. And yeah, as a fan, I want to thank you for what yourself and Andy have, have done, both in engaging and, and talking to fans like myself on a podcast like this, but also, you know, just for, you know, what you've delivered. Because it's, uh, as I say, it feels like Strutton Dog to me all the way through it, all the kind of different aspects of the game. So it was a real joy to play it, actually. So thank you very much.
1: <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank you for playing it and being a, such a fan. And, uh, and, you know, you've been a, quite a champion in the community for it and stuff like that as well. So, uh, yeah, uh, thank you. It's been my pleasure. Uh, happy bringing back uh, happy memories of Strutney and Doug and working with Andy and everything. So uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you.
0: And it was an absolute pleasure to talk to Gav. I want to offer a massive thank you again to both Gav and Andy for being so kind and generous with their time and coming on to chat about the work in the system. I hope that these discussions have given you some insight into the process of creating these games and that if you've been thinking of trying out Strontium Dog, that they may persuade you to give it a go. If you're still undecided, please keep an eye on the Life of Die YouTube channel as I'm working on a how to play video. Also planned are Strontium Dog podcasts where I'll be joined by fellow gaming fanatic and Strontium Dog aficionado, Alan Stenhouse. We'll be providing some game tips and analysing the various characters and bands available to play in the game. Most exciting of all, though, Alan is planning on running a campaign of the killing with all 100 contestants, and we'll be documenting it for the community. So, to make sure you don't miss out, please hit the subscribe button on my YouTube channel. But until then, keep on living the life of die.